Hey y'all, this is Becca Borelli, and this is episode one of Secret Sauce, and I am recording this from my home in Austin, Texas. We have been self-quarantining, is that like, that's become a word now, quarantining? <laughs> um, we've been at our house working from home, my husband and I, for a week now, and I already miss my studio so much, but... It is, I don't know if y'all can relate to this, but it is giving me this amazing space in my life to start this podcast. Um, if you've been following me on Instagram, I don't know, for for a while now I've been talking about it. I've been dabbling in telling stories on Instagram TV, and it is kind of crazy how strong I felt the push to start recording like right now um we're all kind of having these crazy we're experiencing these um crazy changes possibly for a little while right um and so I wanted to do this episode because the timing is is pretty great um secret sauce I want to talk about that I want to talk about (laughs) the origins of the name and also that Italian freaking intro music that you heard. I'm Italian. My grandmother was first generation Italian. She came here when she was 18 to Cleveland, Ohio, where I grew up and was the most amazing cook and would be like, you know, she was the type of person that started cooking dinner at eight in the morning, right? The sauce would just be on the stove all freaking day. And so I want to talk a little bit about how that idea plays into this podcast. And I also want to talk about one of the really amazing, creative, artistic things that that comes out of sickness, which we're kind of experiencing right now. Whether we actually get sick or not, sickness does something positive for artistry and creativity. It it doesn't take away from all of the other really shitty things going on right now. I'm definitely not using this episode to make a silver lining. (laughs) Like, um, it sucks, y'all. This is a, a really stressful time for a lot of people. And just because there's good things too doesn't take away from the bad and vice versa. Just because there's bad things doesn't take away from the good. One of the most artistic things I think there is, is the capacity to hold conflicting things in both of our hands, right? That they can, that conflicting things coexist in this world. It's just how it is to be human, you know? Secret sauce. Okay. So this name is, has such an interesting story. First of all, I, I would say two years ago, I tried sort of an alpha version of a podcast. Some of you might have listened to it. It was on SoundCloud. I think I called it How I See It or something vague. I I didn't I knew that wasn't going to be the title forever. <laughs> but I I I just wanted some type of title to to start sharing my ideas about artistry. I had no idea what I wanted to talk about. Have you ever experienced this where you feel so called to do something? And you don't know what the fuck that is. Like I, 
<laughs> I love the Bill Watterson quote. Um, he talks about this idea when he said, um, I have no idea where I'm going, but I'll know when I get there. It's like the story of my life. And I kind of felt that way when I was starting this, that first podcast. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing, but I figure if I do some episodes, maybe I'll figure it out as I go. And I didn't, fig- <laughs> I didn't figure it out. Um, I had a lot of fun. I did maybe a dozen. Um, I was pretty surprised that people listened to them with very little sharing on my part. Um, I got some really amazing feedback to keep doing it, but I kind of ran out of things to talk about. I was a little bummed. I thought it was going to go somewhere. And, um, and I think that now looking back on it, I realize, no, like when you're cooking sauce, it starts at eight in the morning <laughs> and it's a long process. And so the first phase of the simmering was then, and then, you know, I kind of like, I, I took it off the burner and let it mellow for a little while. And I put this idea out there. I don't know if any of my artist friends or creative friends or anyone who, even if you don't identify as an artist, I don't know. I'm sure everyone has some sort of experience with this. Um, I just kind of put it out there into the universe. And I, I, that's such a hippie thing to say, but it, that idea has its roots in like some pretty cool science, even like, um, Albert Einstein would often realize that he was on the precipice of something. And he learned early in his career that if he tried to consciously um, figure something out when he was on the edge of an aha moment, that it would actually just push the aha moment farther away. And he was known for like going and sitting in the tub for days at a time. He was definitely a weirdo. Um, in the best way. And he would go sit in the tub and his subconscious would kind of mull it out. And then all of a sudden these things would emerge after days, just like chilling in the bathroom. Um, I don't know if that part of the story, by the way, is like an, is like an urban myth. I do know that he definitely spent a lot of creative time in the bathtub. I heard it was for days on end. I don't know. That feels a little bit extreme, but anyway, um, excuse me, on this podcast, I'll definitely try to give disclaimers when I don't know things for sure. But um, anyway, so I did that. And y'all, one night I was in a hotel by myself. I was traveling. I don't remember where anymore, but I remember I woke up in the middle of the night and clear as if I was hearing you or anyone else talking to me, I heard secret sauce. Like I heard it. And I instantly, in my half-awake state, knew that that was the name of this podcast. And I was so jolted awake by this that I like, I, remember I was like digging around and I found my phone and I like typed the name into the notepad of my phone and, and fell back asleep. And that name hadn't made sense to me for like I I sat on it for a while and I was like what is secret sauce like first of all my business is art I I definitely I mean this is like a cooking reference I (laughs) you know and then um and then a few months ago I thought like what is secret sauce even reference like you hear that phrase all the time the secrets in the sauce like maybe I should google that 
And so I did, and it all sort of came together. Secret sauce is a reference. And you all probably know this, but it was kind of news to me. Secret sauce is a reference to the special ingredient that makes your thing unique, right? The secrets in the sauce. It's the thing that nobody knows but you that makes what you make special. And I have wanted to do, it was my aha moment. It was my, I'm sitting in the bathtub for four, you know, four days. <laughs> and all of a sudden I was like, yeah, that's what I've been in a roundabout way trying to talk about on my Instagram through the first version of the podcast in conversations with friends here in Austin. I'm fascinated, y'all, with the thing that makes what you make what I make, what artists make special. And I was listening to this interview a while ago with um, Howard Stern and Trevor Noah about this exact topic. And Howard Stern asked Trevor Noah, he said, tell me about a time that you just really bombed. And Trevor Noah was like, you know, he goes, I don't ever really view it as, as bombing. Like there's times when the audience just definitely isn't feeling what I'm doing though. And so they're talking a little bit about that. And Howard Stern was like, well, does that ever stress you out? Do you get anxiety about that? And Trevor Noah said, no, actually I don't. And here's why. He goes, years ago, I was opening for Dave Chappelle at Radio City Music Hall. Big deal. It's freaking Dave Chappelle. I'm like kind of like feeling like, what am I doing here? Like, obviously I deserve to be here, but I like can't hold a candle to Dave Chappelle. Like he's so cool. How am I going to open for this guy? And so he's like, I was talking to Dave before the show and I was kind of telling him about how I was feeling. And Dave says to him, he goes, dude, he goes, you're not here because you're funny. He's like, I know so many funny motherfuckers, which <laughs> I, love, I love that. And I would say the same in, in my circles. I know so many artistic motherfuckers, y'all. He said, you're here because you're interesting. He's like, that's why you're here. He's like, you have a story that no one else has. He's like, you've lived life. He's like, you've been brave. He's like, you have things to share that are really fascinating and people want to know about them. And to me, that story does this really great, you know, job of, I, I guess, explaining the idea of this podcast, right? Because I, I know so many amazing, artistic, fascinating, unique really cool people who are sensitive as hell and because they're sensitive to like the world at large they don't think they can put out what they have because they're used to thinking of what they have in terms of skill and they don't have any fucking skill they haven't done <laughs> like they're, they're just starting out they have no skill of course it's terrifying and if you use skill as a metric to decide whether you're going to start something. You'll never start it because, you know, you don't have it. But when an interesting, when your interest, when your uniqueness, when your secret ingredient is the metric for putting your stuff out into the world, 
it's easier. It's easier to do it because you see, I'm like shaking. Can you all hear my voice shaking? I actually have recorded so many of these before and I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm like finally speaking what I'm supposed to be speaking about and it's making me nervous. I have to just, I have to just like state it because I feel like, I feel like this recording is picking it up. Maybe not. <laughs> um, but this topic means a lot to me. I, um, and I wanted to tell a story because I feel, I feel like maybe on an intellectual level or, or an abstract level, people kind of get what I'm saying. They're like, yeah, really cool. Like, you know, don't, don't be the best, just be interesting. We get it. But I want to talk a little bit about, um, a story from my life. It's actually the origin story of my business, um, and how that relates to this idea that you don't need to be the best. You don't even need to be good, <laughs> right? You just need to be really you. You need to be authentic. You need to be interesting. I want to talk about that in terms of, of my experience. And I also want to talk about how this particular story is really connected to where we're at right now at this moment in time with coronavirus, with this really rapidly shifting landscape that we find ourselves in, not just in the United States, everywhere in the, the world. There's nowhere that isn't experiencing this exact thing right now. And that's bananas to me. And it's powerful. It might be scary as hell, but it's also powerful as hell. We have this really fascinating, unprecedented, historical time to sort of really rein in that power and use it intentionally. And I feel like this particular story will help give you some perspective on how you can do that for yourself in your own life um, with whatever you want to make. And it doesn't have to be art. Like this podcast isn't for painters and drawers. It could be, but it's for, it's for anyone that wants to make something that feels like they have this unique thing to give the world, to serve the world. And they've been, it's slippery trying to start that process. It's so slippery. I, I started this process 11 years ago and I'm just now sort of <laughs> like understanding it. It's sauce takes a while on the stove, you know? So, so here's the story of, of my origin story. Um, I was a school teacher. People who've been following my social media for some time know this. Um, and I did it for about five years. And in Ohio, where I was a school teacher, you have to get a master's degree to renew your license. Um, it's, it's a cool, like Ohio's very, very cool place to teach. It's a union state still. Um, it was really competitive to teach there. I remember when I applied for my teaching job, 150 people applied for that position, which I share this because teachers from other states just might be blown away by that. Like when, <laughs> like, I can't speak for all industries, but unionizing the teaching profession makes it so much more competitive and better paid. I, I was paid really well compared to to here in Texas, um, where I live now. And they're like, just like scrounging for teachers here in Texas. I, I haven't even been looking for teaching jobs and I've been offered some amazing teaching jobs here. Um, 
And this is something I'll probably talk about another time because to me, teaching is the ultimate art form. It's the ultimate secret sauce. I learned so much about being unique and authentic working with kids. Um, it's a story for another time. Uh, and so I, I bring up this sort of weird teaching situation that I, that a lot of states are experiencing in the country because there's this massive teacher flight that that's happening right now. I don't think a lot of people know about it. Teachers definitely know about it. Even if they're working in a competitive state like Ohio, they know about it. Um, you can look this up on Google when I'm about to share is real, um, but 60% of teachers leave the, pro the profession permanently within five years. The turnover is shockingly high. And there's lots of reasons, but I'll, I'll just say for the sake of this episode, the, the two main reasons are that the pay is low. We know this. Um, it's low even for only working. And I don't even like saying only working. For, for appearing to work nine months of the year, we all know teachers work 12 months, even if they're only in the classroom nine. Um, but for a nine-month contract, they're still paid very low. Um, but on top of that, the work, the work, and I, unless you've been in it, you have no idea how hard it is. Public school teaching is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the hardest thing I will ever do. Um, working for myself and trying to start a business from nothing pales in comparison to my experience. And I had a cushy experience. I was in an upper middle class district, uh, not very many kids on free or reduced lunch. Most of the families in my district were um, better than middle class, like doing all right. Um, and, and I was an art teacher. I wasn't dealing with testing. I wasn't dealing with all of the meetings and email, parent emails that, that a classroom teacher would deal with. And I still left. Uh, permanently after five years. I moved to Austin to go to grad school. I, I used the requirement that I had to get a master's to get out. I, I didn't have the courage at the time, to be honest, to do it. And so I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go get my master's in another cool city and then and then I'll return when I'm done, knowing full well that I wasn't gonna do that. And I didn't. I I stayed in Austin and when I graduated in 2013 from the University of Texas, I took a job painting signs at Trader Joe's. And I had the most transformative class while I was at the University of Texas that played a huge role in why I chose to go into to painting signs instead of school teaching. Painting signs was a blast. Working for Trader Joe's is probably one of the best grocery stores you could work for, in my opinion. Um, but I was still making $27,000 a year in Austin. I was so broke. And the the reason, one of the biggest reasons I made that decision was because of this class. While I was at UT, I took a class called Management in the Arts. It was a business class. We had to, like, one of the big final projects was writing a business plan for an arts organization. It was cool. I learned a lot. And because it was a business class, I was so surprised when on the first day, our professor kind of sits us down. He's going over the syllabus and he says, all right, y'all, so here's something I've noticed. 
And like, I came, I, I still can't believe the wisdom of this man that he even noticed this. He said, I've noticed a lot of people that go into arts management, who go into arts leadership, that run arts organizations. He said, I've noticed that they get really disconnected from making art. Like that they, they loved making art as kids. That's what drove them into working with organizations. And then they stop. And he goes, and I, I wanted to sort of honor that by requiring that you get back into the process of making art regularly every day. It's so important that you do that. He goes, it's important to stay connected to your own personal art making mission so that you can help other people do the same. And uh, he said, so 40% of your grade, he goes, I know it's high. He goes, but 40% of your grade is going to be a portfolio and I'd like for you to keep it this entire semester. He goes, you can work in any medium you want. Um, he said, you can do any number of works that you want. He said, maybe you just want to work on one large piece the entire semester. Maybe you want to do little thumbnail sketches every day. He goes, whatever. Um, maybe you do a video. Maybe you do mixed media. Maybe you write a novel. He goes, something creative, something that's artistic that is very uniquely you. And then you'll present it at the end of the semester to the class, you'll talk about what you learned. Have a nice day. So I was like two parts excited and the rest of the parts terrified. I <laughs> he was right. I had been, I was 100% the person that he was talking about. I had gone into school teaching in 2005. I had st I um, had been classically trained in my undergrad to paint and draw pretty realistically. And, you know, part of the reason that I'd been taught to do that is because it was beautiful. People wanted to purchase work like that. I, I tried to do it a little bit on the side while I was teaching. And um, I've talked about this in other um, forums before, but my school teaching experience was so incredibly hard on my nervous system. I had so little bandwidth during that time that I completely stopped making art. And I was I was 100% the casualty he was describing. I, I probably, I think I remember when this particular class happened, I had not really picked up any art media in three years, if you can believe that. And there was part of me that thought, oh, it's gonna be like riding a bike. And then there was part of me that was like, or you could just totally suck at art now. Like, how do you know? And aside from those thoughts, this was the thought that really clotheslined me. I, I went home that first night after this class and I was just overwhelmed by all of these feelings of anxiety. And on top of feeling overwhelmed, I was feeling overwhelmed but because I was overwhelmed. Have y'all experienced that spiral? It's so fun. <laughs> and the reason I was overwhelmed about being overwhelmed is because I was thinking in my head, this is art. I love art. How did I get to this place in my life where the thing that I loved gives me so much stress. I was I was devastated. I I had I had realized that adult life had really ruined this thing that I used to have so much joy for. 
And I, I was like mourning this a little bit. And, and what I didn't realize was happening was that I had gotten really sick. Not, not sick in my body, sick in my soul. I got soul sick that I had been really, I don't know if enculturated is the word, I had been taught by the culture to make art in a way that was completely out of alignment with my soul. And by the time I was 25, 26, 27, I was also in this really demanding career. And I was so disconnected from what my soul wanted that I started to get soul sick. And then here was this professor coming back into my, he's coming into my life and he's telling me to kind of look at this thing that I'd stopped looking at because it hurt. It hurt to look at it. And all of this like soul sickness is like coming up in me. And the thing that I realize now, I didn't realize it then, but I realize it now is that sickness clears space. It clears a ton of space. And we, and I like that might feel a little vague, but it's a lot less vague if you think about it in terms of what happens when you get a cold or a flu. Like, and, it, and depending on the, the degree of the sickness, that equals the degree of space, right? If you get really sick, you suddenly have a ton of space. You can't do anything. Business as usual ceases to exist. You're on your ass. Your body needs, your body is basically demanding space. It's like, hey, look, I've got nothing. My, your, your systems need this space. And I'm going to give you all kinds of fucking symptoms so that you lay your ass down and give me the space I need to heal myself. And that was what was happening to me on a soul level. I, I was so sick of doing and thinking about art in the way that I had been for so long that all of a sudden there was this space. I was feeling so much stress and so much anxiety, just like how your body feels when you have the flu. But I had all of this space to heal. And in that space, in that anxiety, I had this amazing thought. And it was, when was the last time, Becca, that you really made art for yourself? Not for a grade, not for a teacher, not for money, not for a friend or a family member, just for your own enjoyment. And you loved every second of it and you didn't sell it and you didn't give it away. Like when was that last time? And it was when I had been in high school and I used to do these like, and I'm sure you all know where this is going, these like little swirly colorful doodles. I would do them for hours with and I, it was so self-energizing that I felt like I could do it forever. And that was when I realized, oh, maybe this is something that I need to pay attention to. This is something that I could do every day for a semester. I'm, and it was this, I, this weight that I used to feel whenever I sat down to draw a realistic face or um, a representation of a, photo a photograph that I had taken or a cityscape or something, I would feel this like sort of anxiety. That was gone. And instead I just felt like I was a kid again. And every day for that semester, 
I did these little doodles in bed at night with with markers. No no pencils or erasers, just like straight ink so that I couldn't erase. And if I did something that I didn't like, I would just like play around with it until it looked better. And the doodles didn't even matter. They didn't matter. The artwork wasn't the doodles. The artwork was me. The, the doodles were making back onto me and I was healing myself. My soul was like getting reacquainted with the reasons that I made stuff years ago. We all have that baked into us. It can feel like we've forgotten, but um, we're all wired to be to be creators. I when I was um, a school teacher, I went and saw Sir Ken Robinson speak in Cleveland. You can watch his TED Talk on how schools kill creativity. It's fascinating TED Talk. It's one of the most watched TED Talks of all time, actually. So I was really excited. I got to go see him in the flesh. And he shared with us this study that you can read about in this book called Breakpoint and Beyond, where this group of researchers got together a thousand five-year-olds. And they did this longitudinal study from when they were five until they, until they graduated from high school. And they gave them an IQ test, but it was totally different than most IQ tests. So a traditional IQ test will measure what we call convergent thinking. Convergent thinking is like, if a train is driving at this velocity and then another train is, you know, those like story problems. (laughs) It's like you take disparate pieces of information, you bring them together and you solve something. That's convergent thinking. A traditional IQ test measures convergent thinking. But this test measured divergent thinking, which is also creative thinking. So an example of a question on a divergent thinking test would be, how many things can you make from a paperclip? That type of deal. And they had no idea what to expect, but they gave this test to all a thousand of the five-year-olds and they were blown away to discover that 99% of five-year-olds test at the genius level for creative thinking. It's our birthright, <laughs> okay? And then they tested these kids periodically using the same test um, until they graduated. And by the time they were 17, 18 years old, only 10% were graduating with a genius level in creative thinking. So it's, and you know, some people feel sad about that, um, but to me, it's not sad. It's just, it's still in there. We've just, the, the, <laughs> by the time most of us are 17 or 18, we've learned to quash it. And, and so had I. So I began this renewing process of making things. And I didn't realize it, but I was finding my secret sauce. I was, I was not the best drawer anymore. Like when I, like these doodles were so rudimentary y'all. They were not nearly as beautiful from a skill perspective as my realistic drawings had been. They weren't nearly as impressive. In fact, I remember about three or four months into the doodling, I, I was posting them on this website, um, for 25 bucks a drawing. Like I was, I like, 
people that purchase them have original drawings from from then of mine for $25 is amazing. I just I people that were asking for them, I didn't have a ton of attachment to them, remember, cuz to me it wasn't about the art. It was about what was happening to me and I had no attachment to these drawings. And so I was just like basically giving them away. And one of the um people that purchased one of them, she we were chatting a little bit and she said something that I think she meant as a compliment, um, which was, you know, these doodles are beautiful, Becca, but we know what you're capable of, which she was referring to the realistic stuff, right? And she sort of unwittingly sort of gave voice to one of my biggest fears, which was that people weren't going to take me seriously drawing this way that if I wanted to be really taken seriously, I had to set aside the colorful little swirls and I needed to start drawing with like real skill, like artist skill, you know? And I think that if she had said that to me in my 20s, I might have like felt worse. But by this point I was having, I was like 33. <laughs> I was having so much fun that I was just like, you know what? screw it. Like, I don't care if no one buys these things. I am having so much fun again that it doesn't matter. And I learned later, and this is like some of the best advice that I, I got from someone who had an art business. Um, the thing that you're here to do is the thing that you would do if no one paid you. And that's the truth. And I think there's a lot of like important steps that we need to take to protect the things that we love for that reason. But if there's so many people who are so hung up on the skills and the techniques that they are just boring as hell, aren't they? Like, and I didn't realize this, but the reason people were starting to take an interest in my work isn't because it was super, super skillful. It's because it was interesting and it was me. And to this day, people will say, I know when I see your stuff because it's so unique. Like no one else's style is quite like it. And to me, that's secret sauce. So what does this even have to do with coronavirus? Well, <laughs> to me... Coronavirus is doing for the collective what my soul sickness did for me seven, eight years ago. We're like suddenly, we suddenly have this forced space in our lives. Most of us are stuck at home. All of the business as usual is screeching to a halt. And there's so much stress around that, especially for my small business friends who have employees that they have to support, um, especially for people who are those employees getting laid off. Like, it's a very stressful time when so much business as usual screeches to a halt, when all of the ways that we were used to doing things aren't working anymore. Just like, just like me sitting in my bedroom after going over the syllabus with that professor. I was just like, oh my gosh, he's asking me to, to do this thing. But I can't, I can't do it. Like, aren't we feeling that similar feeling right now? But I, I can't do it. I, I'm so, like, how, like there's so much sickness. There's, there's no way for me to do it. 
And what I'd like to posit in this episode is that there is a way to do it. It's just going to be swirly doodles, not the way you did it for 10, 15, 20 years, that we're being collectively invited to use this space to rethink the way that we do things in our personal lives. And if we do that right now on a personal level, we very well are going to collectively do it too. Um, That that's how collectives always shift. It starts with personal shifts. And I, I'd like to sort of posit the question to those of you listening to this episode, what would you do if you weren't getting paid? Like a lot of us aren't getting paid right now. A lot of us are screwed right now. <laughs> like, and some of us have more space to sort of, I don't know, think about this than others. But even if you have very little space to think about this, even if you're just scrambling to pay the bills right now, how can you rethink ways to do that? There's there's this crazy amount of space being given to all of us to rethink the ways that we do that. It might mean that we need to start leaning on friends and family And maybe that feels really shitty, but maybe that is going to lead somewhere very important. What is it that you are authentically bringing? What is it that you could authentically bring forth right now? What is it that you had stopped doing in your business as usual life? And there's no stress around this. There's, it's not like, oh, now we have, now there's this artist on a podcast. I'm already stressed out enough. And now she's telling me that I need to like take this space and like turn it into some creative opportunity. No, no way. No way. This is not a requirement. It's an, inv- it's an invitation, first of all. Um, if you don't take it now, there's going to be so many opportunities to take it later. Um, If you don't take it now, it's probably because you're not supposed to take it now. But if this sort of idea is resonating with you, I'd like to suggest that it's a great time for you to take it right now. What is it that you would make with that new space that isn't attached to capitalism, that isn't attached to productivity, that isn't attached to hustle, that makes you interesting, that's your secret sauce? Um, because that's what the world needs. And that's what this podcast is going to be about. The world needs your secret ingredients, the things that only you can offer. And I, I have this dream of bringing people on here to talk about this, to talk about how it manifests in my own life. Um, because I really think that this is what we're being collectively asked to do right now. What is your secret? that needs to be brought forth? And could we use this crazy amount of space to start exploring that? I know I am exploring it very specifically around what I do in my business. 
It can be really challenging when you have an art business, by the way, to stay clear on what your priorities are because the outside world just views you as like totally hashtag blessed. Like, and so it can feel very like selfish to say, "Mm, I don't know if I want to paint murals anymore. I mean, two years ago, I was so excited to do murals and I am getting this very clear guidance from my soul that it's time to move into a slightly different direction. And I had been for months and I was feeling so much anxiety around doing that, right? Because I didn't know how to do that. I was trying to apply all the business as usual techniques in my life too shifting and there was just it felt way too stressful and it felt like it wasn't going to work and so I hadn't made any changes instead I just kept doing these things that vaguely didn't feel like a good fit anymore and then all of a sudden this stuff happens and all of my mural jobs go away and my wholesale business is going to screech to a halt and I have all of this time to rethink my direction and all of my ideas about teaching online And doing this podcast suddenly have all this space. And, you know, there was a moment where I was like, I don't have time to be focusing on the things I want to focus on. I got to figure out ways to make money. Isn't that like that fear-based reaction from our brain? Like our brain is like, like the last thing our brain wants a lot of the time is for us to do what our soul wants to do. Because what our soul wants is scary as hell to the brain. And... So there was definitely a period of time where I was just like, you don't have time for these fairy tales, Borelli. You can't, you don't have time to be recording a podcast. Your podcast isn't going to pay the freaking bills. You need to figure out a way to hustle right now. And I immediately quashed it. And I was like, hell no. I've done that before. (laughs) I've I've been doing that for like four years now. And it hadn't worked for me very well. And it's okay if you're doing that. And you keep doing that. This isn't about guilt here. About like, like there's no pressure around having to do anything when it comes to this moment in time. But if you're in this place where it feels really good inside your body and you don't know why to explore new opportunities, I'm telling you, this is a ripe time for it because coronavirus is clearing space to rethink business as usual in our collective life, and in our personal life. And in that regard, sickness is really good for creating new stuff, right? You have to have space to make new things. And if you're gonna, (laughs) and in order to get space, certain things have to die. I'm not talking about people dying. (laughs) I'm talking about the ways that we do things dying. And let's be honest, the ways that we've done things collectively have led to this sickness to begin with. So It's really interesting that in all of these different levels, we're getting a chance to rethink the ways that we do things. And I think secret sauce can play into this idea really well. What makes you interesting? What is authentically you? Because that's what's going to help and heal the world and ourselves right now. I feel like, I don't even know if you're still listening to this. If you are, um, I am patting you and myself on the back. <laughs> I, I, I would say at least a dozen times during this recording, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm sounding preachy. <laughs> I 
which is my own sort of fear-based kick up, you know, telling me not to do this thing, you know, and I guess I just share that so that you know that it's, it's, it never really goes away, this fear of like doing new things. Um, even now for me, after sitting on this idea for years and finally really feeling the alignment to do it, I'm still kind of feeling some of that kickback and it, um, I hope it's comforting to you to know that that's just like, it's like baked into the recipe of being creative. Um, you know, like fear gets to hang out, but it doesn't get to call the shots anymore. So secret sauce. I love you guys. I look forward to, you know, doing more episodes. I have some sort sort of ideas in the works for like the next two episodes and then I don't so it's going to be um a messy organic process like I, I think of my grandmother she's been coming up a lot lately so when I made the connection between cooking and secret sauce and her I was just like oh this is perfect she was such a wonderful human and she left behind her recipe cards and my dad um you know, would try and very successfully replicate her sauce recipe, but it was never quite the same. And part of the reason is that when you're making something, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. She would just like tweak it as she went. And it was never the same every time. Like the sauce would like change a little bit depending on her mood that day. And I think this podcast is going to be the same. It's just going to kind of like get tweaked as I go and hopefully be what it needs to be each time. Anyway, I love y'all and I hope you're having, to the extent you're able, a productive, meaningful, not productive, who fuck productive, (laughs) a meaningful experience when you can. And in the times when it's not meaningful and just downright shitty and scary, I hope that that's okay too. And that you um, move through it in a way that gives you meaning even if it's later. Uh, Until next time, peace.